Hello, and welcome to this edition of Life's Tough. You can be tougher. Our first podcast was nearly two months ago, and since we started, we've had an impressive selection of intriguing guests and plenty of free-flowing conversation. I'm Dustin Plantholt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie or an HBO series. Yet when you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another inspiring show today with our featured guest, Bill Rahana, Chairman and CEO of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Before we begin, I want to welcome a returning sponsor, the POI Institute. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in gorgeous Cabo San Lucas on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. POI offers safe, medically-focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-POI-CABO. Or check out their website. POIibogaine.com. That's P-O-I-I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E.com. Be sure to tell them that Life's Tough sent you. Now let's introduce Bill. Bill Rahana Jr. is chairman and CEO of Chicken Soup for the Soul, the publisher of the inspirational book series of that name. In 2008, Bill, his wife Amy Newmark, and Robert Jacobs led a group of investors in their acquisition of Chicken Soup for the Soul from the company's founders. Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. Canfield and Hansen, both motivational speakers, in 1993 had come up with the idea of packaging 101 inspirational stories into a single book. The Chicken Soup for the Soul book concept grew dramatically. It's a series that now includes more than 250 titles and has generated in excess of 100 million books sold just in the United States and Canada. When Bill and his group acquired the company, they recognized that Chicken Soup for the Soul had the potential to grow beyond the bookstore. They knew the brand had tremendous room for expansion. In 2015, for instance, the team created Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, now a public subsidiary of the flagship organization. The new division, which Bill oversees, is building online video on-demand networks that provide video content for all screens with Sony Pictures Entertainment through its Crackle Plus joint venture. It also curates produces, and distributes long and short-form video content that brings out the best of the human spirit and distributes online content through its wholly-owned subsidiary, A+, where it's partnered with Ashton Kutcher, the actor and tech investor. Let's bring him on now, Bill Rahana. Hey, Bill, welcome to the show. Hi, Dustin. How are you? I'm good. All right, so look, I got to ask you to get this out of the way. When you have meetings at your office, do you serve chicken soup? If so, what kind with noodles, matzo balls? Well, not chicken soup in the liquid form. Not in the although, liquid form. Although I do hope we serve chicken soup for the soul occasionally. All right. So what made you decide to, to get involved in, and buy chicken soup? How did this start? Well, um, a number of years ago, it was brought to my attention that the founders, uh, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, the first authors of the original book, were interested in bringing in people who could help take the brand to a new level. And uh, 
I've, I've always been fascinated by the reach of brands and how much uh, they really do to help us understand uh, or how to organize content. When I took a look at it, I thought the opportunity was quite meaningful because they not only were selling books, they also had a very successful chicken soup for the soul pet food, believe it or not. Yeah, believe it or not. We were looking that up. Can you talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, it's a really super premium pet food that uh, focuses on, um, you know, health for the animals. It's We try to keep it as affordable as possible because one of our sort of defining missions is accessibility uh, to high quality product. So we keep um, we try to keep the prices on the low end of the super premium space so that as many people as possible can afford it. And then for those who can't afford it, um, we have a couple of programs, one of which is for shelters, where we give away a million uh, pet meals a year through our fill a bowl, feed a soul. Wow, that's, that's quite a few. It's a lot. And um, and we do that in, in conjunction with American Humane, the uh, the well-known charity for animals. And that is a great program that we're quite proud of. Yeah. So talking about the consumers and what the brand means to them, I can tell you from my own perspective, the brand for me represents warmth and it also represents empathy. What do you see the brand representing for you as you were looking at making the acquisition and being part of taking it to the next? Uh, I think positivity is, is kind of the, the key, um, the key thing I think the brand does, we have a filter through which we look at pretty much everything. And that is to look for the positive, the positive aspects of things. Um, not that we're ignoring the fact that not everything is positive, but, but I think there's more than enough focus and attention on negative. And uh, yeah, there's enough of that. While, you can turn on the news and find negative. Yeah. I think every once in a while, it's not a bad idea to, to see the things in life that are good. And so our, our brand really is about positive thinking and about positivity, I would say. So as you are expanding, what kind of a criteria are you looking at for new products or new categories that will align with the Chicken Soup name? Well, that's an interesting question because we can't always do that when we expand. Quite a lot of the times when we, we've, we've expanded uh, considerably by buying businesses, and quite a lot of the times we end up with businesses that have more complex content than we, than we might buy if it was just using the chicken soup for the sole brand. Um, and so we end up trying to divide content into categories. I, it's not really that different than what Disney did years ago when they realized that they sometimes made Disney films and sometimes they made other kinds of right. films. And so they had a couple of different brands. That didn't mean they walked away from the Disney side of their world. It meant they expanded their world into other things. So we've been expanding beyond beyond the, the content that fits perfectly in the Chicken Soup for the Soul brand into other stuff as well. Uh, that's good insight. So did you always know you wanted to be the CEO of Chicken Soup? And where did your story really begin? I mean, take me back to the early days as as uh, Bill Rahana is finding out who he is in life. Like, what? How did you get here to the spot to be able to lead this organization to the next? Well, when I was a lot younger, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. A lawyer? Fact, You're kidding me. Come on. You fact, as an attorney? And in, fact, and in fact, I was a practicing lawyer for seven years. And really? I'm still a member of the bar. Wow. Uh, that turns out uh, to be good training for running a business. 
especially these days. Um, and uh, I've put it to good use. I imagine. But, but I quickly figured out that being a lawyer wasn't really the most interesting thing that I would that I would want to do. And what so, kind of what kind of an attorney or what kind of lawyer were you? Uh, well, by accident, I became an attorney in the film finance business. Film finance which, business. Which, yeah, which which is what began the journey into the media business in general for me. Ah, that's quite a so, quite a journey. Now, was it were did somebody bring you in, or was it something you had interest in and you just found your way into it? No, somebody brought me in. It was a complete and total accident. Um, I had been a Watson fellow, which is found the Watson family, which is the IBM family, had a foundation where they gave people money to study abroad, and I had gotten a Watson Foundation fellowship. And in the course of it's quite an honor. Year, I, well, it was nice. I've enjoyed it, and <laughs> it was, and I'm grateful for it. The uh, during the course of that year, I I met other Watson fellows. One of them was a fellow named Jonathan Crane, and he uh, became the president of a of a company called Blake Edwards Entertainment. And Blake Edwards was the was the director of all the Pink Panther movies. Yeah, big name. Lots of other lots of other very well known movies. Ten Breakfast at Tiffany's, many many great movies. And when, when Jonathan became the president of Blake's company, he called me one day and said, uh, I'd like to raise $200 million for Blake's new studio. Can you help me? And I said, sure. Who's Blake? Yeah, who's Blake? <laughs> that was it. Huh? Uh, who's who's Blake? Blake Edwards? Yeah. Uh, which, How did that go down? Uh, you know, it was a necessary thing to know if you yeah. could actually succeed. So I guess it was a good question. <laughs> it's a fair question. Uh, but that turned out to be pretty successful, and one thing led to another, and pretty soon I was a film finance lawyer. Yeah, so you were good at it. I, I was fortunate enough to to have a, a client who was who it wasn't very hard to raise to raise the capital for. It got a little easier for you. He was pretty successful guy. Well, you there's a lot of humility in there because no matter what you do in life, all it takes is is all you got. How do you find this ability to hyper focus? especially when you have big problems or, or future problems that you're trying to navigate around. How do you find that? What do you do? How do you tune everything out? Um, I don't know if that's really what I do. No? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think focus is very important, but so is a pretty, uh, you know, an overall understanding of what's going on around you. So I would say it's more of a, picking and choosing of the things that really require your mo your t attention for the moment and prioritization, I would say is really the issue Yeah, uh, more than anything else. Yeah. We had uh, the founder uh, recently on uh, for Bombas. And one of the things I was asking him is how many emails do you get a day? And he said, I got a couple hundred. And I said, well, when do you decide, when do you get involved? And he said, that's a, that's a challenge. So I'm going to ask you the same question. You got a lot of emails. You get a lot of invites. Everybody needs you. How do you deal with that? I think, you know, that's that that is a an art as much as it is a science. I would say the factors that go into it from in my life are who they're from and what do I think about their ability to deal with it without my help. And there are quite a few people in our company who are very capable mm -hmm. and they sometimes reach out. And it's really to let me know something's going on and to give me the option of being involved if I care to be. 
Um, and then sometimes it's really a request for help. And if it's an important issue, then you then you respond. Um, but, you know, emails, emails a funny thing. People use it in a lot of different ways. And like most forms of communication, it is uh, used by each person a little bit differently. Uh, and so you have to have some sense of what it is that the person who is communicating with you is really about. All right, so trying to navigate through it and, and being a father, I've got two young kids. Uh, tell me about balance. So for our listeners, we're in 40 plus countries now. Uh, there are people trying to find balance. How do you find this work personal life balance? <clears throat> well, I work a lot. Um, that is primarily because my work is also my hobby. Ah, you enjoy um, it. Right. That's I great. like what I do. Um, I'm, my kids are all out of the nest. They're all on their own. So I don't have any kids to take care of in that way. Um, my wife works with me. She's the publisher of all our books. She's done the last 150, 60 of the books. 150, 60 books. Yeah. That's remarkable. Publisher, editor in chief, writer of many of them. I, I think she outranks you. That's that's quite a few. Oh, she's an extraordinary talent. Yeah, so she can handle a lot of things at, at once. So how do you guys, I mean, that's that's its own dynamic, working together and then having to go home. But it sounds like you're both, this is a hobby for you. You enjoy it. I enjoy it and she loves making her books. And she, she loves really, making her books. <laughs> she loves her books. Yeah. So when you know and when you realize that 80%, and this is what we found, that 80% of the chicken soup books are being bought for others. Uh, how does that influence you on how to market it? Well, one thing it does is it means that for the most part, they're physical rather than e-books. Um, because a gift is, a, is generally a physical demonstration, a physical tangible demonstration of affection is most effective in gifting. There are digital gifts, but they're not quite the same as handing somebody something that's uh, that also has a message associated with it. Yeah. Um, and, and those, and those gifts can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes they're just, you know, gifts that indicate love, respect or whatever, like mom knows best, our recent mother's day book. Other times they're books designed to help people through something that may be difficult to navigate like our cancer books. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, so, so gifting, you know, is a very important part of everyone's life. Our books are a pretty great way of sending a message to people and the physical delivery of them is part of that message. Um, and an important part, I think. Now, do you find that as you're looking to target millennials, that that is a, a new group that is harder to break into, or do you find that there's a, an amazing opportunity for chicken soup going forward? I think it's a little of both actually um, like what by the way i'm 35 so what what do us millennials what do we want like what have you found after all the market research yeah <laughs> what i don't, they, I don't think we can figure ourselves uh, out uh, a sense of authentic communication Th so that's really it that's it just being authentic being real i i think that's right i mean if you look at um what the internet has done is allowed people to communicate what they think about things with each other in a very seamless and relatively easy way. Yeah. And that's created um, a sense of observation, 
I, well, I don't want to say criticism, because it's not always that. Criticism or praise that is freely given. And in order to be the subject of praise rather than criticism, it's a lot better if you're authentic. Yeah. Because people see through everything else. Um, we try really hard to be very straightforward about what we do, because that's, in our mind, chicken soupy. Yep. And I like that chicken soupy. I'm going I'm to use that going forward. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. That's something that's something we talk about a lot. Yeah. And, and to be chicken soupy as uh, well as deliver chicken soup for the soul. Stuff. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, it, uh, well, you, you try to live, you try to live at least a little bit to the, <laughs> yeah, you gotta be on the edge. Well, I, I'm sure that around the world, you've got a lot of people that some of them are, are vegetarians or, or vegan consumers. So kind of like, have you ever thought about it? It tastes like chicken, but it's really not chicken soup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. We, <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you a story, but I'm not going to tell you who. All right. Don't tell me who, but give me as much as you can. Like, let's like borderline, let's do PG 13. You know, this is just a celebrity story. We once had one of our writers appear on a major celebrity's show. And even though everything had been pre-screened, the celebrity was a vegan. Oh, no. And when they found out that it was a chicken soup for the soul author who was appearing on their show, they didn't actually let the person appear until the very last second and only over the credits. Oh man. So I always thought that was a little strange. That, that, that is, that is strange. That that's one of those but, very insecure person that, that can't but deal that's with That's a true yeah. story. It'd be too hard to make that one. Yeah. Up. yeah that's the uh, true stranger in fiction there, Bill. Can't make that one. Yeah. Up. So, so there you have it. So there is a vegan out there who decided the chicken soup for the soul is not an idea. <laughs> yeah. It's not actually it? a thing. It, it's actually not about liquid soup, <laughs> liquid soup made yeah. with chicken. Oh, made with chicken. We were thinking like, like tofu for the soul. Like you can, you can take out the chicken part, put tofu and, and change it up or uh, maybe throw yeah. some matzo balls in there. That's probably unnecessary. <laughs> That's great. So what kind of distribution models are you using to get your books into the marketplace? And what sort of challenges, if there are any challenges, what sort of challenges do you face? So the interesting thing is that Amy's books, and Amy Newmark is my wife, our publisher, Amy's books are at least eight out of 10 of them are on the BookScan bestseller list. Every, wow, that's remarkable. Every, every time. Yes, Quality. in fact, there was there was a point in time where we had so many books in the New York Times bestseller list that we were banned from the list. And they went everywhere. Like, how did she, did she go home and brag to you like, I have another one? You're like, well, geez. How can you compete well, no. with her, by the way? Can you ever, I like, one-up her? No, why would I? <laughs> but the... Um, when we look at the bestseller list and we get, you know, weekly reports on how we're doing, we always have six, seven titles on, on the, the book scan bestseller lists. Our, our books sell, um, and they sell in part because people love our stories and the stories, you know, are all from people who have submitted them to us and they're, they're really terrific and they're real life stories and they resonate and they teach people, but, um, they also sell because they're in the stores. Uh, we're in 50,000 stores around the United States 50, alone. 50,000 stores. Yeah, and, you know, placement's an important thing. And brand is very important in placement, and brand is reinforced by the best-selling nature of our books. So it's a virtuous circle that helps the selling go on. There have been many people who have tried to imitate what we've done over the years, 
but they lack the brand and therefore they lack the placement. So therefore they don't get the sell through. So therefore they don't succeed. Um, brands are important. Yeah, they, they are. So any, has there ever been any surprises for you on what, what sells? Like you go, man, I didn't see that coming. Yes. There's always surprises about what sells. I mean, I, I don't actually think that's, I'd be surprised if we weren't. That, okay. That's now, that's the new default. That's, that's it. Um, you know, we think we, we did a book once a few years ago that we were talking about last night called The Story Behind the Song. And Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Story Behind the Song. I love that book. It was about, I don't know, 101 really well-known top songs over the years. And it was stories by the songwriters of why they wrote the song. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, that is really uh, fascinating. I, I thought for sure this is going to be a big hit. It was a complete flop. Not sure why. You're the only one that bought it, huh? Uh, Yeah, kind of. (laughs) Uh, Well, a flop for us, Dustin, is usually, uh, you know, pretty okay. But it was a flop compared to what we Uh, Compared to what you had done before. It was disappointing. So you can't really tell going in what what people will like. But there um, there is a lot of desire to read about positive thinking, about examples of overcoming adversity uh, there's a lot of there seems to be a lot of desire to, to read about spiritual things yeah um, whether that's angels or or other things it's there's a lot of that um, so you know there are certain categories that seem to always do well uh, but then sometimes they don't and you wonder why yeah then visually. has there ever been one that you were presented or pitched and you said as much as i want to we just can't has there been that? There actually, do you ever draw that line? There actually, there actually have been quite a few like that. And I'll, I'll tell you where they come from. And this is mostly Amy's problem, not mine. I don't. Amy, I don't I'm going to really get her on there. Where is Amy? Why doesn't she come on the show? You should ask her. She, I'm sure she would. All right, good. Um, and she's a lot smarter than me. And <laughs> she's a lot smarter than I'll than tell I her do. that, too. He thinks you're kind of smart. Yeah, no, she knows a lot more than I do. And she is the heart and soul of the brand when it comes to uh, you know, the books and the like, but you know, when she looks at a title, a lot of times people have something they're very passionate about, but it's a very narrow subject. And if that subject is too narrow, then it's not likely to be commercially successful just because you need a broad potential audience in order to sell enough of the books to make it a a viable thing to, to make, to uh, produce one. So there's a lot of people who have moms that turns out to be a pretty broad area. There are a lot of people who care about positive thinking. There's lots of people who are interested in spiritual things. Our pet books sell like crazy. Um, Lots of people have pets. So very broad categories. We find an audience within those categories pretty regularly. Narrower categories are tougher. Um, And even though you'd like to do it, you know, you'd like to do some narrow books. We tend to do these. Um, when we think there's a really special social purpose. So we've done books on being on the spectrum, which even though that may seem like a broad category is not as broad as, um, as we usually need. We did that with the, with autism societies and charities and gave a big chunk of that money to well, those. We, we had those a Pathfinders for Autism on uh, a couple shows back. So that's a, that's a phenomenal cause. So what, how would you define positive video storytelling? I mean, in Bill's eyes, like, what do you consider, consider to be positive? Because I think you know there has been throughout different the, the different generations, Generation X, Baby Boomer, Millennial, and 
that there, there's indoctrination that, well, what is positive to one might not be to the other. So how do you define that? I mean, you're at the top CEO of the organization. How do you define positive video storytelling? So, so that's something we do through A plus as much as possible. A plus, as you know, when you said earlier was founded by Ashton Kutcher. He's our partner. Um, and he helped create the DNA of that brand by his worldview, which is really, I, I think it's relatively easy to understand when you think about the fact that in any difficult situation, somebody will step up and be a part of the solution. Whatever situation we may be uh, talking about, to find those people and to tell their story. And, and that's what we mean by positive. That's, uh, by positive. that's powerful. So printing on demand is, and I know when you came in and you took over the organization, you guys acquired it. Do you print your own books or do you have outside companies that print it for you? We print our books in the U.S. and they're printed by uh, an out, two different outside printers, one of whom uh, prints on demand, the other of whom prints in big lots. Yeah, and I'm sure that that's a challenge as you're always looking to, to improve the process. Uh, before that, has it always been that way or were you able to make some adjustments? We have a lot of CEOs that tune in and a number of them are coming into businesses and they're looking for ways to improve to make their businesses more efficient. What sort of adjustments did you have to, did you have to change or did you have to make when you, when you took over? Well, we did have to figure out how to deal with backlist books. We have, it's probably 300 plus titles that are in print now of chicken soup for the soul. Books. That's a lot of books. Have you yeah, read them all, by the way? I'm sure Amy absolutely has. Absolutely not. You haven't absolutely done it. Not. No. Amy has read every book. <laughs> She's never really read them all. At least, at least once. And that's probably that's more incredible. Once. I tend to listen to the books through her podcasts. Okay. Which, where she uses the stories to tell her own stories about the stories. And I find that to be the best way I can read the books. I guess that's not reading, is it? That's oh, exactly. Do you have a playlist, by the way? Do you like to... Do you do audiobooks? Do you like to read, or are you too focused now on on building? Um, I read a lot of business stuff. I don't have a playlist. Uh, I tend to um, I tend to listen to audiobooks once again with Amy when with Amy. we when we walk. Hey, you <laughs> we, guys are a good team. Man. So how do you? Try to, that's we, pretty we wild. Try to walk three miles a day. Or, three no, miles. We don't, get, we don't get it. We don't get it every day, but we try to walk three miles when we can. And we, we tend to listen to audiobooks while we do that, which is fun. Yeah, and I imagine the stories you guys hear around the world, uh, some stories make you cry, some stories make you laugh. It, it, it must be quite fascinating to hear from people around the world tell you how your books have impacted them. That is a really nice part of this. Hearing from people about how we may, our books may have saved their lives. It's really not our books that do it, though. It's the stories that the people give us, Dustin. Our stories come from people all over the place. They're submitted. They're, they're real stories of their lives. We're just curators and, and I hope, good custodians of those stories. You're, a, you're quite the fiduciary, by the way. I, I've got a lot of respect for what you guys are what you're doing and, and what you're storing and you're now making it digital so that the next, the next generations, they'll be able to follow this amazing organization and, and what you guys are doing. As you said, you're, you're saving people. You're, you're giving people their, their peace back and you're giving them hope. We're um, trying. Uh, That's you, for sure. You're doing quite well. I remember when I was young growing up and reading the chicken soup for the soul books, 
and looking for those inspirational stories. And you always left it with, ah, all right, so good will always win. Good will always win at the end of the day. There will always be somebody there that will pick you up and say, ah, I got you. Come over here. I'll pick you right up. I hope that's true, and that's certainly what we try to find. And so what is the new American series? We found that online. Oh, well, that was a series we did um, for our TV show, uh, Hidden Heroes. And it was it was stimulated be, by the controversy over immigration that seems to have, um, you know, kind of come up in, in our country. It, it is quite a big conversation. We had... Uh, we have a show coming up that is with uh, Krish Vignaraja. She is the head of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services. I sit on their executive board, and you're right. It is a major topic, and there's a lot of misinformation on it. So we thought maybe if we show some stories about new Americans and how they've contributed to our country, that it would help shine some light on a debate which has very often been emotional and I don't necessarily think thoughtful. Um, and so we, you can't preach and be effective, at least we can't. But we thought if we told great stories about new Americans who came to this country and contributed to our society in one way or another, um, that it might be helpful for people to remember that lots of what we have, if not everything we have, came from immigrants. You got that right. I mean, my, my ancestry, I came from overseas. I was British, English, Scottish. And you look at that immigrants, they're the most resilient. And so when we look at those that are coming into the United States, those that want to be here, and you know this, Bill, most Americans take it for granted. I mean, we really do. And then we complain about when things don't go or we're sat in traffic too long. Well, imagine you had to come 2,000 miles to get here. Do you think traffic even matters anymore? Well, you know, Dustin, some of the forces at work around the world with globalization and the like have created fear in the, on the part of people who, who are worried about their future. And that fear is sometimes exploited by others for their own benefit. And not necessarily, in fact, I don't think ever does that exploitation of fear actually benefit those who are afraid. Well said. And so we try to help bring some light. We're not arguing. We're not arguing a point of view. We're just trying to show people and let them come to their own view. I mean, we have a view, obviously. Of course. But, but it's, you know, it seems like the most effective way in an era when people are only yelling at each other is rather than yell back, maybe just shine light. And if you can do that, then maybe you can get people to start to at least think again about what it is they're afraid of. Yeah. And many times they don't even know what they're afraid of. It's kind of like, you know, the old, uh, there are many adults listening in that will hear this and they'll laugh and say, Dustin, that's actually me. That there are people that will wake up at 2.30 in the morning, their hands off the bed, their foot's off the bed. And here's a grown up that will pull their foot in because they believe the boogeyman. There's something underneath the bed that's going to grab them or that's going to touch them. That many times we don't even know why we believe it. We just know we do it. Well, it just yeah. doesn't feel good. I, I got to pull it in. And, and when we look at immigrants, and my wife is one. She came here from Sweden. And she says, and look, I actually had to pay to get here. I had to earn it. It wasn't handed to me. And yet why, 
Why are all immigrants criminals? Why are all immigrants here stealing and, and stabbing and killing? And, and that's the, uh, the, un, the unfortunate misrepresentation that these are not all monsters. And, and so I applaud you uh, for, for putting, taking courage. And by the way, and you know this, it takes a lot of courage to, to write that, to say they're not all bad. They're really not. They're well, to tell their story. I think the stories are what we're telling. It's up to people to decide whether someone who creates a business that employs dozens of people gives them gives them a future. Are these good people or bad people? It's up to them to decide whether people who create new organizations that help the homeless or help the disadvantaged are good people or bad people. We just tell the story. And it's... It seems to me the stories speak for themselves. They really do it. And you have found this this craft, this this gentle way of judgment-free zone, that you're able to do this without making any judgments on people, that how dare you think a particular way, that all you do is you give them the story and you allow them to come to their own conclusion independent of, well, here's what we think of chicken soup. How do you find that balance? Because it must be it, incredibly challenging. Well, we we don't. Um, we don't express opinions. We curate stories. It's, it's a way of, of communicating. Um, it's, it's very tough. I mean, uh, these days, sometimes just telling a story makes people think you have a point of view and they don't really listen to the story. They just, that must drive you absolutely crazy. It's, you know what? It, it makes me sad. Because we divide ourselves when we should be united. And the only, only path I see to success in reuniting is if we just start listening to the stories of other people. And, and that will help us. But it is sad. It, it is very sad. And when you and I talked back in November, and thank you again, A+, uh, ultimately wrote the article about me and Life's Tough. Life's Tough's mission is everyone has a story. Every story is, well, their story. Every story is yours. And as we look at our own stories, it's what we are going to do with it, and more importantly, what, what our legacy will be. Uh, so just recently, Chicken Soup for the Soul and Sony, by the way, that's a phenomenal partnership, announced a partnership to deliver video on demand uh, Crackle Plus. Tell us about that, and what is the significance of Crackle Plus, and what are your long-term plans for it? Okay. So um, most people know these days that you can get video on the Internet. I mean, Netflix did a pretty good job of teaching people that you can do that. Yep. And, and most people, I think, are aware of the fact that you can pay them money and watch programming, different kinds of programming. Less people are aware of the fact that you can also do that online and not pay for it by watching a few ads. This is going to sound like what used to be television. That's right. <laughs> Didn't we'll, that used to be TV? Yeah, and will be again. Yeah. The, diff the difference being that in the video on demand world, you, the consumer, get to choose exactly what you want to watch, exactly when you want to watch it, whether you want to stop it or go forward or go backwards, whether you want to stop, pause it for a little bit. So you have control over the content you're watching, when you're watching it, the pace at which you watch it. And you can either pay for that with a, with a Netflix subscription or perhaps an Amazon Prime uh, relationship. 
and of course more coming from Disney and Comcast and Apple in, in the subscription business. Or you can watch for free and watch a few ads. Now we we own something called Popcorn Flicks, which is available on Roku and Amazon Fire and uh, Apple TV, as well as online, as well as on you know iPhones and Android phones, pretty much everywhere on smart TVs. And that was the fifth largest ad-supported video-on-demand business. Wow! Sony owned the fifth. that's owned incredible. Some, yeah, Sony owned something called Crackle which is also available on all of those platforms. And it was the fourth largest. <laughs> yeah, this was like a, it was meant to business. be. We put those two together and ended up with a leading, if not the leading ad supported video on demand business, which, which controls multiple ad supported networks, crackle being one popcorn flicks being another uh, popcorn flicks, kids being yet another, and there's a few more that we own, truly being one that's faith-based. And those um, those networks now under one roof were, were, were aggregated so that advertisers could reach a very large number of people in one place because otherwise it's just too hard for them to actually interact with the consumer who's on a VOD or video-on-demand network. So by aggregating all of that, we gave advertisers one place to interact and to buy ads, which they could do in scale. Uh, and we gave consumers access to good programming for free in exchange for watching a few ads. On, on Crackle, if you sign in and, and register, we'll serve you less ads than if you don't, because those ads are more valuable and therefore you can watch less and we can make the money we need to make in order to run the business. Um, All right. So you give it, you're it, giving some really great choices. You're not just saying it's this or nothing. It's all about choice and the future. The internet has created choice. That's what it's done. It's, it's the internet of, of value, which is going to lead into, so I'm big in the digital asset, crypto uh, currency, blockchain space. Do you see yourself eventually getting to a micro payments uh, on your sites or accepting uh, crypto or digital assets? I don't know. I really don't know. The ad supported business doesn't require it. It's really ad supported, but mm -hmm. there are, we do have some subscription video on demand networks as well um, that are very niche focused, extremely narrow targeted networks uh, designed around things that people are really passionate about and therefore programming that's hard for them to find and and frankly i wouldn't watch most of the time but yeah but then i don't fish some that's people it. love fishing that's not you for know, you so um, it's not my thing but doesn't mean it isn't somebody else's so uh so if we do that it'll be in the in the subscription space where it, it would make sense to consider it or it would be in some of our digital publishing businesses like a plus where um we might be able to incent people uh, to, to do things that are good for them and good for us. Yeah, it's it's good for both of you. Uh, by the right. way, and I don't know if this is true, so somebody put this in front of me. We read that November 12th is Chicken Soup for the Soul Day. What is it's the true. origin of that? Is this true? Uh, it precedes our ownership of, um, of the, the brand and the company. We don't know what the origin is. And... I this is going to sound kind of funny. The first year we owned the company, 
we didn't know there was a chicken soup. <laughs> it's, got, it's got you off guard. We found out one day when we read it on a calendar somewhere. And we started to see, you know, a few, um, you know, digital posts that said tomorrow's chicken soup. <laughs> Tomorrow's the day. Did, did, Amy, like, did Amy catch this before you or did you catch it before Amy? I don't remember which one of us caught it first. Uh, funnily enough, it's the day before our anniversary, our wedding anniversary. So we were already in a celebratory mood. Yeah, that's it's like a uh, double win. You see what we inherited? We got our own day. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty It is pretty fun. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So when anyone in your organization is not feeling well, do you offer them a bowl of chicken soup to encourage them to come to work? Once again, no. No. Um, but, you know, maybe we should consider I that. think you guys should do it. I know some people that can deliver. And uh, final question for you. Toughest person that Bill Rahana knows. Who is that one person in your life that, man, got you here? Person who got me here. Well, that's or a good that question. helped you on your journey. That you say, oh, most, this was my boss. This was my best friend. This was a family member. Who was that person that inspired you? I'm going back to my wife. I'm sounding very boring, I know. But... No, that's not boring. I like that. I love love stories. The world needs more of them. Yeah, no, she's she's pretty amazing. So be hard to say anybody else had more of an influence. More of an influence. All right, so life's tough, but Bill's wife, Amy, is tougher. Yeah, yes, she is. All right, that's great. Any final words you have for the audience? No, good luck to to you for what you're doing. I think it's, it's extremely important, and um, that's why we... That's why we wrote about it. That's why I'm here today, to help support what you're doing. Well, I'm honored. Thank you so much for the trust. Thank you for believing in us. And life's tough. But again, I'm going to say it, that Bill's wife, Amy, is most definitely tougher. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Take care, Dustin. You already know life is tough. And running your own business is tougher. You need a financial planner who's tougher. Carl Grund is a financial planner who helps small business owners navigate the market, and grow their business through financial strategies. Give Carl a call at 703-287-7128. That's 703-287-7128. Or send an email to cgrund at sfpfinancial.com. That's cgrund at sfpfinancial.com to learn how Carl can help you get tough on business. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. So that wraps up our show for this evening. Thanks again to Bill Rohana for making this another outstanding episode of our Life's Tough podcast. And thanks to you, our amazing audience, for making the Life's Tough podcast not just one of the most relevant and fastest growing shows around, but one that is now reaching 41 countries around the world. Also, a special thanks to my dear friend, Gerald Levin, Life's Tough Chief Writer and my Sherpa. The stories we all hear are as varied as the people who tell them. Each time I hear someone's personal account like Bill's, I do not frame it as something that was more horrible than my own story or something that was not as bad as what I went through. It's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience. To the person who lived it, their story can seem just as devastating or just as amazing as any other. I ask you to use your story to give others hope. It's quite liberating to move beyond your past. Don't keep your story to yourself and allow it to eat away at you. Instead, consider how your experience can benefit somebody else. Your story may be just what it takes to help someone in your circle or in our community to get through a tipping point moment 
at instants when that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or when that person finds the strength to transcend a particular situation. Please subscribe to our show, visit lifestuff.com, and be sure to join us every week for a stimulating hour of heartfelt discussion. Remember, everyone has a story. Life's tough. You can be tougher. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Also, if you think you have the right stuff to be a podcaster on our expanding Life's Tough podcast network, send an email with your ideas to info at lifestuff.com. That's I-N-F-O, the at symbol, L-I-F-E-S-T-O-U-G-H.com. Everyone has a story. The question is, does your story belong on a podcast? So for the entire Life's Tough team, this is Dustin Planelt signing off. Remember, life's tough, but Bill's wife, Amy, is tougher. Thanks again, everybody. Take care.